Good morning to each of you. Greetings in the name of Jesus. You just said that you know his voice. Do you know his voice? I believe we're all endeavoring to follow him, to hear that voice and respond. For a message this morning, you can turn to 1 John. A number of weeks ago, in a message, <clears throat> excuse me, that I preached here, we looked at 1 John, part of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, and the title of that message was Believe, Love, and Abide. John was warning against the deception of false teachers, especially that of, of Gnosticism in the first chapter, but he continued to look at, at the deception that was being put forward, and he was encouraging us to abide in Christ and, to, and also challenging us to measure our faith by our love especially our love for each other in the, in the last middle part of chapter 3. I'd like to continue reading in chapter 3 of 1 John. Maybe read a verse or two that overlap that and continuing into chapter 4, through chapter 4. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us, by the Spirit which he hath given us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. 
Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. There's a couple words that come up an awful lot of times in 1 John. If you look back here in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it says, This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. What was the title of the message that I said I had preached before? Believe, love, and abide. And that was in chapter 2 in the first part of chapter 3. And here it, is, here it is again in another verse, two verses, succinctly there. Believe, love each other, and if you keep his commandments, you abide in him. This word dwelleth and the word abide actually are the exact same Greek word, just translated different ways. And if you look down to verse in, in chapter 4, verse 16, again it says... Those three words are in one verse. Believe, love, and, and dwell or abide. So there's a lot of repetition. It's interesting in our Sunday school text today in, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, I don't need to write about loving each other. You know how to do it. God teaches you. Well, that was Paul to the Thessalonians, but John to his audience evidently didn't feel quite the same way because he wrote many, many times. I think I, I had written down, but I don't have it here, how many times the form of agape or agapeo, the, that form of love is referenced in 1 John, I think it's over 48 times. And in chapter 4 is, is, a, is a large portion of those. 
Well, if we look here in verse 16, especially 18 to 22, let me look at those, those verses there. It's, it's talking about love. In verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, We perceive the love of God. We are able to see God's love because of something He did. He laid down His life for us. And the challenge in verse 17 is that we also need to do something. Verse 18 says, Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, love works. We say that faith works. James says that faith without works is dead. And I believe that love without works or demonstration is also a pretense. Love is not just a feeling or an emotion. I think compassion has been defined as love in action. And that word compassion is here in verse 17. So, you know, God's love was demonstrated by action and ours must be as well. And in verse 19, it seems to indicate that this test of love, working love, active love, is a test of authenticity. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If we're loving, if we're showing love to people. Verse 20, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. I understand that these verses have uh, several different applica- or, uh, interpretations of what all this is saying exactly. But as I, as I studied and meditated on this, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Does that mean that God, God knows beyond our heart and our heart's not saying what it should? Or God knows if our, and I think the word heart here could properly be interpreted conscience. If our conscience is bothering us, you know, God knows God knows the ins and the outs even better than our conscience does. I think it's clear that we need to listen to our conscience. Brother David Heatwall at tent meetings the other night said, unless God has given you over to a lie, to believe a lie or a reprobate mind, you know in your heart you're standing before God. And I believe that that's, that's what it is saying here. We need to listen to our heart, to our conscience. And if our conscience is bothering us, is speaking to us, then we need to seek what is wrong. We need to ask God for knowledge to help us understand that we can have a clear conscience. It says here that if your conscience does not condemn you, 
in that honesty of, of the assurance of our heart here. That we can come before God with confidence. And not only that, that God hears. Since whatsoever we ask, we receive, because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. In thinking of conscience here, Paul has this to say in 1 Corinthians 4 4. He says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. In other words, yes, my conscience doesn't doesn't bring something up against me. But I don't go on that alone. The truth of God is what actually judges me. And yet he also says in Acts 24, verse 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And we are able to have that conscience that's void of offense as I said, we can come before God with confidence. We can't expect God to hear the prayers of a pretentious heart. Pretending. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, and I believe that's a quotation from one of the Psalms. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God's eyes are over the righteous. His ears are open. He wants to hear our prayer. The blind man that Jesus healed when he was confronted by the, the religious authorities of the time, he said now in John 9, 31, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And I find that is, that is very similar to verse 22 here. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What are those things that are pleasing in God's sight? As I contemplated that in, in the context of 1 John as well, I, I had to think of just the the thing of selfless demonstrations of love being what one of the things that is pleasing in God's sight. And in Philippians 4.18 would bear this out. It says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Here we're people at Philippi and they heard of, of Paul's needs and they gave, they sacrificed their, their possessions, their money and sent them by the hand of Epaphroditus to Paul. And Paul says that is something that is well-pleasing to God. You loved me and you showed that love by something you did. God is pleased with that. In Hebrews 13 verse 16 says in the New King James says, but do not forget to do good and to share 
For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So there's two examples of where this selfless demonstration of love is one of those things that's pleasing to God and that I believe brings joy to his heart when he sees us loving, demonstrating love. So how do we have this clear conscience before God? I think it comes back to these three three actions of believe, to love, and abide. And in verse 24, it says, And hereby know we that, we that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God's desire is that we would know, that we would have our hearts turned toward Him, that we would have a clear conscience that comes to Him. And I had heard someone say that this word Abba is a lot like Daddy. It's that clear, open relationship with God where we come before Him as our Father, as our Daddy, as it were. And the Spirit is what allows us to have that relationship. In Romans 8, 13 to 17, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I know the, the, the idea the, of, of assurance of salvation to some can be a touchy subject. No, we don't want to live to where we can, where our our mindset is that, well, I believed, I'm saved, there's nothing I can do to, to walk away from that standing before God. And yet there's those that struggle. Am I living like I should? Is God pleased with me? Do I have salvation? Am I saved? And when there's a voice speaking to me, is it my conscience or is it some other spirit? And I, I don't remember exactly where, but I, I heard some teaching that really helped me to understand a bit of this, and that is that the Holy Spirit of God does not condemn us. The Holy Spirit of God will point out sin, inconsistencies, but will, will draw and lead to repentance. Whereas the spirit of darkness will bring questions in your mind to condemn you.
There's numerous places here in 1 John where he, here in verse, I know in verse 24, I don't have the other one right in front of me, but it talks about the spirit which he hath given us. It's there to comfort. It's there to assure our hearts. But here in verse chapter 4, it says there, there, are, there are many spirits. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test them, whether they are of God. Whether it's a spirit or whether it's a, a, a philosophy, perhaps. A spirit of, of understanding, a, an agenda. You know, there are many, many voices in the world today. Many religious voices Many false teachers and false prophets. He again is bringing this warning. We must understand and test what is being said. Who we're listening to. Here again he says these teachers. This spirit of Antichrist is simply that of denying that Jesus came in the flesh as the Son of God. And I think that's referring back to, to this Gnosticism, denying that Jesus was a man, denying that he was God's Son. And in his time especially, that was a big, I think a very s simple issue to point out and to notice. But who are we listening to? It was also a, a challenge at, at tent meetings was your false teachers will give an account for what they teach, but you will give an account, and in my words, for what teachers you heap to yourselves. Because we go in search sometimes of things we want to hear. Who are we listening to? Are they speaking the truth? Are they preaching a half-truth? Are they looking at the Scripture from a spiritual perspective or a carnal perspective? 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 to 14. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. There's a lot of good, I say good, there's a lot of convincing people out there. Experts in debate and logic. But they aren't comparing spiritual with spiritual. Yesterday at market, I had a lengthy conversation with a man. Well, I could say conversation. It was mostly one-sided. He had, he had a, a kettle that was boiling over. And he acknowledged later that he, he needed to get the cap back on it. But he was an older man and he had, he had a lot of knowledge of Scripture. But he seemed to be asking a lot of the wrong questions. 
most of which to which he already had the answers. And it started with a statement about, he saw some of my children with me, and about how the downfall of this country is the breakdown of the family unit. And I agreed with him. That's a, that's a fundamental building block of society. But then he went on to, to blame the lack of, of moral grounding in the failure of our leaders to legislate it. And that was the general gist of a lot of the, the rest of his, his conversation. But he had a, a perspective that he quoted scriptures, a number of scriptures on different subjects and topics as he went along. And, and I, wasn't, I questioned him on a number, uh, several different things, asked him some questions, but he evidently jumped over a lot of scriptures that, that I, I, didn't, I didn't bring a lot up into his, into his face. But you can read that Bible, you see that plain as day. And these people that say this about where heaven is and about how, who Jesus this and that, and it's not in the Bible, well, it, it's, it's there if you look for it. Uh, but it just it reminded me of these verses as I, as I was talking with him. And Who are we listening to? Who are we feeding from? Looking here at chapter 4, verse 7. A reminder that God is love, and without God we would have no capacity to love. And in verse 9, God's provision of salvation through Christ was a clear evidence of His love. God loved us, His enemies. And how much more should we love Him and each other? And I, I noted with interest the similarity between these verses here and in verses 9 and 10 where it says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 11, notice the similarity. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I used this passage in Romans at Sister Wilda's funeral. And it fits here so well as well in bringing these, these ideas, this, this truth of, of God's love to us. And not only that, His love saved us as His enemies. 
And then once it makes us his children, what better reason does he have to want to save us completely? And not only that, if we go in verse 11, it says that that we boast, we joy in God or we boast in God. And I see that as that love back to God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 12 of 1 John 4. And this is a sobering verse because it puts the hands and feet of Christ on us. This word here, perfected, means to complete, accomplish, or consummate. And it is translated consecrate, finish, fulfill, or this perfected. We have the tremendous blessing and challenge to to demonstrate God's love in a facet that he, in other ways, on this earth cannot. Christ is no longer here, but we are to demonstrate his love. And when people see us with the love of God in our hearts and showing that and and acting upon it, they can see God's love in a way that they could not otherwise. In verse 17, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Maybe I should read verse 16. It says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. As God loves us, we have a choice of what to do with that love. But if we accept God's love, we accept the provision of Christ, then we return that love back to God. And we also are called to show that love to others. And when we live in that love, we no longer fear God. We no longer live in fear of judgment. It says here, as he is, so are we in this world. And I believe that that is... That is speaking to God loving us and then we loving others, and that gives us a freedom from fear, but it reminds us again in verse 19 that without God's loving us, we would not know love and we could not love God.
But just saying that I love God is not a proof that I do. The warning comes up again and again. In verse 20, If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? God gives us a test of our love. And it's a test that we can all pass. But it's a test that is tangible. It's not just a test of our mind. It's a test in how we act. Proof of my love to God is expressed in how I relate to others, especially those that also love God. As I considered a takeaway from this passage and tried to to condense it in my mind as to what what I can challenge myself and you with, I see love coming out so frequently here. And I think of this as love, as as a flame, a vibrant flame that is lit in the heart of each of God's children. And it burns in devotion back to God. Love. A love for God. An appreciation for Him. For His creating us. For His calling us to be His children. For His care. For His comfort. And that flame also radiates light and warmth to all that come close. But there's a spirit of darkness that would want to quench quench this flame of love. Who we listen to, who we follow, who we admire, what priorities we chase will determine the vitality of this flame. And we also have the Holy Spirit to protect and nurture that flame. Can you take that picture with you this week? The love of Christ in your heart, burning brightly. What are you feeding that fire with? Can others feel it? Do others know it's there? Let's evaluate our love. Is pleasing my Father, my soul desire? And is my heart a welcome place for the Spirit to dwell?